You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast for Monday, February 22nd, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com, and today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. I hope you had a very good and relaxing weekend as we begin another week here on our podcast, and of course, we are in that phase of the calendar between the end of the season and the beginning of the new league year where players can officially start to change teams, although you're seeing some trades being worked out. Last week, late in the week, the Eagles and the Colts worked out a deal that will send Carson Wentz to the Colts for some draft picks, and I've seen all kinds of speculation among media who cover the Jets about what that means for Sam Darnold's value, and to be honest with you, I don't think it means a whole lot because I think the differences between Wentz and Darnold far outweigh the similarities. If you're talking about resume, Wentz's performance through his career has been significantly higher than what Darnold has done. And if you're talking about contract, Wentz's situation is far worse than Darnold's because he has a really unfavorable contract, whereas Darnold has one relatively cheap year remaining on his rookie deal and I think that when you talk about a trade the two most important aspects affecting a player's value are their performance level their talent and their contract and in this case you have two players who are totally opposite in both areas so I don't see much correlation between Wentz and Darnold I mean to the extent it impacts the Jets I see two possible impacts one It makes Philadelphia at pick six a contender to draft a quarterback. Of course, they could stick with Jalen Hurts, but I don't think that's a guarantee. I think that there's some question about what they're going to do. So in a world where hypothetically the Jets do not draft a quarterback and retain the number two overall pick, which I think is kind of an unlikely scenario, because I think the most likely scenarios are them either drafting a quarterback or two at two or that pick going to Houston for Deshaun Watson, but in a world where the Jets are looking to trade down, it makes Philadelphia a contender to try and trade down for that pick. It maybe adds a little bit of value for teams trying to get ahead of Philadelphia. I don't think that has much of an impact. I think probably the, possibly the greater impact would be that the Colts are no longer a team that will be interested in Sam Darnold. They had been speculated as a Darnold contender. Doesn't seem like that's really a possibility anymore with Wentz going to the Colts, but New league year has not begun yet, so teams can work out trade packages, but the trade cannot officially be executed until the start of the new league year next month. We're still kind of in the period where we are assessing things, and I think one of the most important things you can assess on any roster is the young talent, because when you look to the future, these are the players you want to grow into your impact players, or maybe a starter, or maybe a role player. And every year we do this, and One thing I want to make clear is just because the Jets have young players does not necessarily mean they're set up better than any other team in the NFL. I think that this has been one of the mistakes the fan base has made 
in recent years is they look at the young players that were just recently drafted and they say, well, we have young players. That means they're going to develop into good players. Well, as we've seen, that has not always been the case. And the fact of the matter is every team in the NFL, all 32 teams have young players on their roster. So everybody's got hope for the future. But we can take stock of what the Jets have. And on today's show, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rank who I think are the top five players under 26 for the New York Jets. And before we get to the top five, I'm going to give a couple other categories. We're going to talk about the players who probably would have been on this list a year ago, but simply cannot be based on their performance in 2020. And that would be Sam Darnold and Chris Herndon. And I don't think much of an explanation is needed for either player. This was a nightmare season for both of them. Darnold did not take the step forward we were hoping for, and neither did Herndon. Herndon, as bad as Herndon's 2019 was, 2020 was worse, because 2019, you could explain away, he just had some bad injury luck. I said heading into the season that I think you had to be a little concerned about Herndon's injuries from 2019 it wasn't going to be a situation where he became one of those guys where you'd always say he's good when he's on the field but he's never healthy that turned out to not be the case he just was not good when he was on the field my concerns were more about injuries would would he be able to stay on the field little did I know that he would not even look like a competent NFL player when he was on the field and Darnold, we've talked extensively about. Heck, we just talked about him as a potential trade candidate. I mean, I think that tells you all you needed to know. Heading into last season, heading into 2020, I think we all agreed that the overwhelmingly most likely scenario for Darnold was that he was going to be the Jets' starting quarterback in 2021. And really, the only way that was not going to happen was if he had a disastrous 2020. And here we are. After a disastrous 2020, we are talking about moving on to another quarterback. Now we can move on to some guys who are what I'd call honorable mention. And you could break these guys into a couple different categories too. You could talk about the players who are unknown. And I'd throw, say, maybe a Bryce Hall, an Ashton Davis, or a Bless Austin to a lesser extent, to blast Austin into this group where these are players who could be good players, but you just don't know yet. You've seen a few flashes from them, but not enough that you can definitively have confidence. And these are players who could end up having a, a big role on the Jets in 2021 just because there are so many needs with this roster that you're going to have to depend on some unproven players to fill roles for you. So these are players who, you know, maybe things can work out for them, but you're not really sure. And then the third phase of honorable mention would be players who probably have some sort of role going forward, but it's not clear that they have a a major role. that These are going to be starring players. And I'd put Chuma Edoga and Bryce Huff into this list. Edoga, after what I could only call it would be a bad rookie year in 2019, became the swing tackle for the Jets in 2020. And swing tackle is essentially your top backup tackle. Ideally, he can play both left and right tackle, which Idoga can. And he saw playing time when the Jets suffered injuries to their starting tackles. I had a dream. I was hoping that Mekhi Becton would step in and be a rock solid, that George Fant would make good on his physical ability, and that Idoga would be a dominant swing tackle, that Jets would have three starting caliber tackles. 
And the worst case scenario would be all three of those guys looked like they could not play. I think we got the scenario that was somewhere between the two extremes. I think Adoga showed that he was a credible backup tackle. He had a few moments. He was somewhat inconsistent. He's a guy who I think is a credible backup tackle in this league. Can he be anything more? I don't really know. And Huff was an undrafted rookie they signed out of Memphis. And he was in the top 10 among rookies for pressures. Now, top 10 among rookies is not necessarily a glowing endorsement. That's not necessarily a sign you're going to be a major player going forward. I mean, that's a very small group of players you're talking about. And part of the reason Huff was in the top 10 is the Jets had so little edge that they had to play an undrafted rookie there a lot. But still, he did have some moments. Is this a guy with the highest ceiling? No, but you know, I was kind of intrigued with him as an undrafted rookie. And I think that he showed you enough. I think he, he showed you some good things. So those are the guys that, again, three categories of honorable mention. Now we're going to get into the top five ahead here on the Locked On Jets podcast. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online also covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV with real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Again, head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Monday, and on today's show, I'm giving my ranking of who I think are the top five Jets players 26 years old or younger. And we will start at number five, and I'm going to go with Denzel Mims. And I'm sure it's going to be a surprise to some people that Mims is not higher on my list. How am I doing my ranking? It's kind of a combination of production to date and potential. If you're looking at Mims' production, he played eight games, had 23 catches for 357 yards, which doesn't sound that great, but it is about 40 yards per game, which for a second-round rookie is pretty solid. I mean, we all remember some of the great rookie years in history, if you want to go back to Odell Beckham in 2014 or Randy Moss in 1998. And I think you always dream when you draft a talented guy that they're going to have that kind of immediate impact. But most rookie receivers who turn out to be good don't have that kind of immediate production. What you want is for them to look like they belong. And I think Mims did for the most part. Now, part of this was due to his injury, you know, he suffered all those hamstring injuries, and I think that is kind of a concern going forward, because you don't want him to be one of those guys who has chronic hamstring problems. You know there are certain players like that, and that can be kind of scary, although, as I said frequently during the season, the Jets just had an epidemic of hamstring injuries in training camp, which makes you wonder whether some of that was due to their training techniques. You know, you wonder the extent to which no off-season program had had an impact on that. The other concern that's a little bit there with Mims right now is I think when you watched him this year, he did not look like the guy who dominated the combine. Like I did not see a guy with 4.38 40 speed. And I know the 40 is not exactly the greatest measure of athletic ability. There's a difference between time speed and football speed 
in football, you're typically not running 40 yards in a straight line, although I guess receivers do that sometimes if they're running vertical routes. But this did not look like the kind of explosive athlete who had a great combine a year ago, and that's not necessarily a deal-breaker. I've heard some people throw out a comparison, like maybe he could be like an Alshon Jeffrey, who through his career has been a very productive receiver, who's one primarily based on his size and not so much athletic explosion. I do think that when you saw Mims this year, though, it was a little disappointing how he played. I, you know, I don't think you saw the type of explosive athlete who, combined with that kind of size, you know, projects as a p- potential number one kind of receiver. I think maybe he's a guy who, you know, or maybe not a high-end number one, maybe a guy who can be your go-to guy, but maybe is a high-end complementary part. Uh, So I think that there are some questions with Mims. And part of of it is he needs to develop his game a bit. I think, you know, his releases at the line need some work. I think there are some things in his route running that can be refined. So he's still a guy who's learning. The encouraging thing is that even though he is a guy who's learning and even though he is a guy who... It's disappointing. Rookie year was a bit disappointing in some ways when you talk about availability, when you talk about, you know, how explosive he looked. He still looked like he belonged. He still looked like he could be a productive player. He still was a productive player for this team. And this was in the Jets offense, which was totally dysfunctional, which had all kinds of quarterback issues, which had all kinds of scheme issues. I mean, you, you don't know exactly the extent to which game plan plays into this versus the extent to which quarterbacks aren't making reads. But it did feel like there were games where Mims was not part of the attack after halftime. Or if you go to the Chargers game, the Jets told us essentially after the game that their entire game plan in the first half was essentially to not try and make explosive plays. And that was, was pretty much the explanation the Jets gave after the game, that the first half they didn't want to make explosive plays. And those were not the exact words, but that was essentially the implication that you got in the post-game press conference, which I still can't figure out. So... Even with a dysfunctional infrastructure, even missing eight games, he looked like a guy who belongs, and he is a guy who can grow into a really good receiver in this league. I don't have much doubt. Now, at number four, I'm going with Mekhi Becton, and I'm sure, again, you're going to say, why is he so low? Now, I think of the players on this list, Becton is the one with the most potential. This, I, I think that Becton has the physical tool to potentially be one of the best tackles in the NFL as a rookie, I liked what I saw from him. He was further along than I thought he'd be. And I think he was a solid starting tackle. And part of this is you, there are certain things in his game technically that need to be refined a bit. He's learning. He's, he's learning as he's playing. And like Mims, even as he's learning, he looks like he belongs. Becton is at this point what I call like a high-variance player. Is There are some games where he just goes out and looks great and dominates in games where he looks really bad. He's, you know, he had a couple bad games, especially near the end of the year. And what I mean by that is sometimes there are guys who are solid because they just go out there and they do a credible job every week. You never get anything spectacular for them, but you never see them absolutely go out there and get dominated. And then you have guys who are high-variance players, guys who look like the most dominant player on the field one week and they go out and look terrible the next week. And a great example of this was Buster Screen, who was the former Jets slot corner. Now, Screen had more bad weeks than than good, and most of the time he was terrible. Most of the time he went out and got dominated. But every now and then he'd have some game where he would just, he'd be in the middle of plays constantly. He'd be making, he'd be stripping the ball from runners. He'd be breaking up a bunch of passes in a row. He'd, you know, he may may have an interception. He may have a sack. 
every now and then Buster Screen would have some dominant game. Now, fortunately for Becton, his dominant games were much more frequent than Buster Screen's. And as he moves forward, as he learns, as he develops, as he as his game becomes more refined, hopefully we'll start to see those dominant games more and more, and we'll start to see one of the best tackles in the NFL. But for right now, for right now, if using my wildly elaborate calculation between performance to date and potential, I'm going to go with Becton as number four. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and the improved Built Bar is now even more delicious. There are now 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. The six new flavors are caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry bar, sia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They go with the 12 original flavors, coconut almond, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, banana bread, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, orange, toffee almond, coconut, and peanut butter brownie. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. They're healthy, low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber, and again, they are delicious. They are very good-tasting bars. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON. It's one word, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, with no space, for 20% off at BuiltBar. B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. This is the Locked On Jets podcast here on this Monday. I'm giving my ranking of the top five Jets players under 26 years old today. And as you can tell from the list, this is not just about potential. This is about performance to date. And in my top three, you're going to see a theme. And the theme is one particular position. At number three, I'm going to go with a guy the Jets claimed off waivers in 2019 who really blossomed in 2020. And that is John Franklin Myers. And Franklin Myers only turns 25 in September. So at the start of the season, he's going to be 24 years old. I was really surprised in 2019 when the Jets got him off waivers from the Rams. Because I was surprised the Rams let him go. I thought of him as a pretty good player. And sure enough, after a 2019 season where he spent most of the year on injured reserve, he got a lot of playing time in 2020 and he actually among interior defensive linemen was in the top 10 in pressures he he turned into an excellent pass rusher and this one of the things you like about this defensive line is that the the players really complement each other well you have franklin myers who's really blossomed into an excellent pass rusher a guy who should be part of this team going forward and that brings me to my number two player and that's foley fatukasi who's a tremendous run defender and You may wonder why I arbitrarily picked the top five players under 26 years old. Why did I go with 26 instead of 25? Because I feel like Foley Fatukasi is going to be part of the core of this team going forward, and he's 25 right now, but he's going to be 26 in a couple weeks, and he's going to be 26 when the season starts. So I wanted to make sure I included him on this list. So that's that's why this is the top five players under 26 and not 25, because... I don't know how you deal with a guy who's 25 now, but will be 26 in a few weeks. So I just decided to make the list top five under 26. And this is a guy who I don't think people really get how good he is. He actually is, like in my view, one of the best run-stopping defensive linemen in the league. Or run, he's one of the best defensive linemen against the run. And that's because he does a lot of the dirty work. And maybe it's something about the nose tackle position, because an observation that I made through the years when Steve McClendon was with the Jets is Mike McCagnan 
was so bad in free agency that it was amazing a guy like McClendon, who McCagnan signed, who was a major success, did not get more attention. And you could say the same thing about the draft, especially the late rounds. McCagnan was a terrible drafter, and he almost never hit in the late rounds. And this was a genuine hit in Foley Fatukasi, and you don't never hear anything about it. You'd think that this guy would be celebrated as like the one McCagnan late round success story, but he hasn't been. And the reason I put uh, Fatukasi ahead of Franklin Myers is that he's been doing it for more than a year. Really, if you head back into 2019, especially the second half of the season, he was great against the run as well. And part of this is that I think just the role he's got as the nose tackle does a lot of the dirty work. He's not necessarily making a lot of tackles himself, but what he's doing is he's winning his assignments. He's forcing double teams, and those double teams are allowing his teammates to make plays. And he just does this on a consistent play-to-play basis. And you know, there aren't many ways to celebrate that. I know you have pro football focus grades where, by the way, Fatukasi is excellent. Fatukasi is one of the elite run stoppers in the league, if you believe those grades. And I've got some issues with pro football focus grades, so I don't really want to rely on them. But what I can tell you is that on a consistent play-to-play basis against the run, there are a few guys in the NFL I would take over Foley Fatukasi. That doesn't mean he's necessarily a guy who's going to be a dominant pass rusher. Never, you're, He's never a guy you're going to notice, but he's a guy, he's the type of guy you need on your defense, and he does his job very well. And that brings me to the number one player who's also a defensive lineman, and this one, I don't think there's going to be any controversy. I think going into this show, you probably assumed Quentin Williams was going to be my number one pick, and there's not really much question about that. After an excellent year two, especially the second half of the season. And Williams is really developing into a lineman who does it all. He was top six in a stat called run stops. So run stops are essentially tackles against the run, but they're tackles against the run that result in the play failing for the offense. You know, if you make a tackle on a first and 10 play 15 yards down the field, that's a success for the offense. So what what run stops are are more like tackles for one yard on first and 10 where you're making a tackle but it also results in a play failure for the offense and he was top six in run stops and he was top 20 in pressures on among interior defensive linemen which is impressive on its own but you have to remember he put up these numbers despite missing the last couple games of the year this is not a guy who played 16 games he still was among the better defensive linemen in the league in both categories and it shows you he's becoming a rounded, well, really well-rounded player. And again, this defensive line, these interior defensive linemen really complement each other pretty well. You have Franklin Myers, who's a pass rusher, Fatukasi, who's a run stopper, and Quinton Williams, who does them both. And Quinton Williams is only, you know, only 23 years old. So there still is room for him to grow into something better. But the guy the Jets have right now is very good. You know, if there were more Quinton Williamses on this defense, the unit would have performed a lot better. And this goes back to something we've talked about on our show. No surprise that my top three guys are, that we have three defensive linemen in my top five. This is one position where I think the Jets are in pretty good shape going forward. Anyway, that's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy the show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. Have a great Monday, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow.